Welcome, everybody. We're so glad you're here this morning. We are going to continue in 1 John. We are in chapter 5. We're going to get right into it. Verse 1 says this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you so much that we get to go into your word this morning. We pray that we would uh, be focused on you and each and every part of it. Lord, we pray that we would not just have ears to hear, but we would have eyes to see, that it would stick with us, that we would take it out of here and into the community. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. John here is speaking to fellow believers. Do you understand that when John is speaking, he's speaking to Christian brothers and sisters. He's not speaking to those who are in the world, but those who are a part of the church. If we can't love our brothers and sisters in Christ, we should never claim to love the Lord. That's what John says. If we can't love our brothers and sisters in Christ, We can't claim to love the Lord. And then the question comes up, well, who are our brothers and sisters? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. That's what John says. Now, uh, the first two tests of a Christian family. How many know that you're a part of a family? You're a part of a Christian family. You're brothers and sisters in Christ, right? So you're part of a Christian family this morning. The first two tests are this. One, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Not just a Christ, because that's important here. This is an important note, and you should understand this. Not just a Christ, but the Christ. There's some, I like what this commentary says, there's some many, there are many of a new age sort of thinking who believe that Jesus just had the Christ spirit as they claim that Confucius, Muhammad, Buddha, and certain modern people did as well. They believe that he was just a Christ. They don't believe he's the Christ. Jesus, the Christ, right? He is the Son of God. So just this last week, uh, I spent some time talking with somebody about Mormonism. I spent a good amount of time talking with him about Mormonism, and it was was interesting because he had no idea that the Jesus that Mormons worship is a false Jesus. He had no idea that the Jesus that Mormons worship is a different Jesus than the one found in the Bible. It's not a true one. It's a false one. So believing in Jesus, the Christ, is first of the test. The first test, believe in Jesus, the Christ, right? Second test is this. Do you love fellow believers? Now, if you were here two weeks ago, you say, Pastor David, this sounds familiar. Because verse chapter 5, a lot of it is kind of a refresher on what was preached to us in chapter 4. I believe the reason that this is presented so many times is because John wants us to grab a hold of the reality of what it is he's saying. How many know if you want to get someone's attention, you don't just call them one time, Right? Cindy. Oh, good. One time. Thank you. Cindy. 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 
Yes, I'm calling you. Isn't it good that God doesn't just call us one time, right? God calls us over and over and over again until hopefully and prayerfully we answer his call. John, it gives us the point time and time and time again that we are to love God and to love each other. One, do you understand who Jesus is? And two, do you show love for each other? Verse 2 says this, By this we know that we love the children of God. By this we know that we love each other. This is how we know. When we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. I love this part. And his commandments are not burdensome. I like what the message says here. It says, the reality test on whether or not we love God's children is this. Do we love God? Do we keep his commands? The proof that we love God comes when we keep his commandments, and they are not at all troublesome. Say, they are not troublesome. They're not a burden. That's what it says. To love God means to keep his commandments. They are not a burden. They're not, they're not troublesome. There's an interesting dynamic that's happening here between our love for God, our obedience to God, and the burden of following God. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, right? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. How many know that sometimes in our lives, following God's commandments just doesn't seem so light and easy. Come on. Bunch of perfect people there today, right? No, following God's commandments sometimes doesn't seem so light and easy. In fact, sometimes it feels downright lousy. It sure does. When a culture is pulling you one way to follow God's commandments, it's going to feel at times lousy, right? When your friends and your neighbors and your loved ones are trying to pull you away from God, then to flow in his direction is going against the tide of culture. And so sometimes it just feels a little bit lousy. The thing is this, why does it feel lousy? Not just because we're going against culture, but the interesting thing is this, why does it feel lousy? How many know it's because we like to try to do things our own way, right? We like to try to take our own path. We like to say, no, 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 God, I know better. That's what, that's what we like to do. Listen, I'm guilty. You're guilty. We're all guilty at some point. But the good news is there's a solution to your burden. And the solution is get your love for God back. Amen? Amen, Sue. I'll get one clap today. Two claps. Thanks, man. The solution is to get your love for God back. God says, I want to make it easy for you. I want to take away the burden. The road you're trying to go down is filled with pain and addiction and tragedy and sorrow and guilt. The road I want you on may at times be tough. There may at times be suffering, but I will give you joy in the morning and I will be your calm in the storm. Amen? Jesus says, listen, here's the path I want you on. How many, how many, uh, man, I used to be a teenager. I don't have a, I do have a teenager now. This is weird. I have such a good teenager, though. How many, how many ever had a teenager that thought they knew better? 
Come on. Uh oh. <laughs> I got mothers looking at daughters over here. <laughs> Sometimes I, I, my, uh, I got to be an age in my house where my dad and I, we were just always, always button heads. And you know why that is? It's because when you get to be a certain age, you need to leave the house. Oh boy, this is, I'm going to preach to someone else this morning. When you get to be a certain age, you have to leave the house because God wants you to grow up and mature. And if there's already a head in the house and you're trying to be the head of your own house, sometimes those two heads start fighting, right? And so when I was in my, my parents' house and I was living there and my dad would say one thing, I'd say, no, ma'am, I'm going to do it my own way. He said, no, no, listen, based on experience, I, I can tell you what you should do. No, 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 I know experience. That's good. Yeah, yeah, I got a better plan. All right, and so, so, so sometimes as teenagers, we are, you know, hey, just as Christians, just as people, God wants us to do something, and we go, no, 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 it's fine. I got it, right? We try to tend to do things our own way. God says this, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and when we do, his commandments are not burdensome. It's not burdensome to follow the Lord. It's freeing to follow the Lord. You know what's burdensome? Burdensome is getting drunk and getting DUIs and having to pay tickets. That's burdensome. Burdensome is, is being in a fight with your spouse all the time, at least a divorce. That's burdensome. Burdensome is being nasty to your kids. That's burdensome. Burdensome is having to struggle over everything, all the time, because we want to do it our own way. That's burdensome. To follow the commands of God are freeing. To follow the commands of God are freeing. No, no, I don't want you to stay in that pit. I want you to, I want you to be out of that thing. Right? So when we follow his commands, it's not always going to be easy. It might be a tough road sometimes, but he is our joy in the morning and our calm in the storm. We reject instruction and wisdom so that many times we can make our own mark with foolishness. God is showing us that when we love him, follow his guidance in our lives, what we bear may be tough, but we will respond to it with joy and faith. Amen? We want to respond to these things with joy and faith. It then says this, verse 4, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Somebody say amen. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Amen? Amen. And we overcome it with faith. Faith in who? Jesus. Not, not faith in me. I'm going to fail you. Right? Not faith in me. Not faith in the pastor. Not faith in my spouse, not faith in my kids, not faith in myself, but faith in Christ. Now, listen, I'm just a bunch of dirt and spit shaped into a big white guy. All right? Come on. You know what I'm saying? We don't trust ourselves. I, and that's why, man, I, I kind of, not, not that I got in trouble, but it was kind of a conversation when I can't, I can't remember what it was, what shirt Jocelyn was wearing. I had talked about it here in service. Something like believe in yourself or... Something like that. I don't know. Some sort of shirt with a message on it. 
or I can be all I can be or something like that, you know. Well, no, I can't. I see all these messages all the time, signs of self-affirmation. Just believe in yourself. Just be the best that you can be. The Bible says, call upon me, and I will answer thee. And show thee great and mighty things, right? If you don't know, that's Jeremiah 33.3. It's a song. I'll show you great and mighty things that you don't know about yet. Not faith in myself, but faith in Christ. Not faith in myself, but faith in God. I know the message. Listen, (laughs) believe in Christ and you'll be an overcomer. Amen? Believe in Christ and you will be an overcomer. What are you going to overcome? What are you going to overcome when you believe in Christ? We're going to overcome the prince of this world known as the devil. He is the enemy. He's known as Satan. We're going to overcome the the wolves of greed and temptation, selfishness that try to bring us down and take us out. It happens all the time. Listen, we're going to overcome by the power of Jesus' name and by the word of our testimony this morning. Amen? We are going to be overcomers when we believe in Christ. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Verse 6 says this. We're going to get some interesting stuff here. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three things that testify, or three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. Now, this may seem a little bit confusing, so let me try to clarify it. John's audience, of course, we know is the early church, early Christian believers. I've spoken before about those in the early church trying to spread deception, right? trying to spread falsities about Christ. They're trying to say he was only God and not a man, or he was only a man and not God. John says, understand that he was not just born of water, but also by blood. So most theologians say, would say that the water is referring to either his birth or baptism, and the blood, of course, is referring to the cross. Now, I want to be fair here. I want to be, uh, as a teacher of the Word, I always want to give it to you, not just within the text, but also the context. Okay, so this is verse 6 up here, what I just read, because the Spirit is the truth. That is all found in original manuscripts for what we call biblical canon. Okay, it's the truth of God's Word. We've seen it throughout centuries. We know that this is what was written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Are you guys staying with me? These two verses, this is verse 7 and 8, says this, For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. That verse, while it may seem, some people would say, wow, that speaks to the Trinity, right? Because it says these three agree. Just so we're aware and just so we're clear, those those two verses were not in the original manuscripts. They weren't found until the 12th or 14th centuries. They may have been put in there by somebody who was trying to kind of push uh, the, the, the Trinity and what was happening in it. There are many, many, many other verses that speak to the Trinity. And you say, Pastor David, why are you even bringing this up? Because I want to be true to the Word of God. Amen? That's my job is to teach you the truth of the Word of God. So you should know 
that there is some evidence that this was in the original manuscript, not much. All right, so we're going to move forward from there. uh, What we can agree on, what we can see is this. The Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Amen? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, testifies to us the truth of who Christ is in our life. Verse 9. This is a long one. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Amen? Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Whoever has the Son has life. How many have life this morning? Oh, boy. How many have life this morning? Come on. Verse 13 says this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards him. I like this part. If we ask anything, if we ask anything we want, God has to give it to us. Amen? Doesn't say that? talking about if we beg and plead and throw a tantrum god has to give it to us no if we're sweet and polite if we're charming god has to give it to us no if we ask anything according to his will he hears us And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. I like this because here's the thing. The confidence we have in prayer is not because we come to him with our will, but when we come to him with his will. That's the confidence we have in prayer. There are so many people who have tried to twist this scripture over the years. If, hey, listen, if you're just a good Christian and you ask anything you want, God will give it to you. You ask anything you want. Oh, I, and boy, by the way, send in $1,000. God will give it to you. If we ask anything according to his will, we have to be within the will of God. We can't be in the will of God unless we're following God and his commandments. Right? We can't show that we love the Lord. We can't, we can't have, I like this, the assurance that we have. The assurance that we have and the confidence that we have is in Christ. I like this uh, commentary. It says this. Oh, I just lost my spot. I like this commentary. It says this. Prayer. Prayer should be so much more than casting wishes into heaven. It is rooted in understanding God's will and promises according to his words. 
and praying those promises into action. We are, we are co-workers with God. Amen? We pray according to his will and his promises. And then we see those promises put into action. John, uh, this, is the, this, is, this is great. This is awesome. But what happens next is interesting. Because John jumps into a subject that seems a little bit off script. And it has to do with prayer and specifically praying over a brother or sister in the faith or a brother or sister in the Christian church that is involved in sin. What do we do when a, when a fellow believer is caught or, or is in sin? It says this, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There's some interesting stuff here. We're going to get into it. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God, that is Jesus, protects him, and the evil one, Satan, does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. There is a lot to unpack here. There is quite a bit to unpack I could talk about these verses for hours. I really could. I, could. I could sit down with a group of pastors. I just sat down with a group of pastors this last week. We had lunch together in Worthington and just had such great conversation. And we could take, I mean, we would take one or two verses and just have great discussion on it. These are the kind of verses where you go, man, I could have just hours of discussion on it. We're not going to have hours of discussion this morning. Somebody say Amen. I want to get to Don Jose, right? Come on. No? <laughs> People are like, oh, we're going too. All right. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> we're going to unpack this, though. This is interesting. The implications of these verses are incredible. First, we see this. There are times when a brother, not, not, this, is, this isn't from outside the world. This is from inside the church, where a brother or a sister is in sin. Bible doesn't say that they're a sinner. It just says that they're, they're sinning, right? Remember, the Bible says we're the righteousness of God. We're no longer called sinners. I know there's people who say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That's a misnomer. That's a misconception. You shouldn't be saying that. I'm not just a sinner saved by grace. I'm the righteousness of God who at times messes up, who at times gets tripped up, amen? Come on, we pick ourselves up, we move forward, Right? There are some sins to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. What is, what is John saying here? He's not referring to spiritual death. This is important. He's referring to physical death. There are some sins that lead towards physical death. There is sin that leads to death. So, the uh, interesting thing is this. John says, you see a brother or a sister committing a sin not leading to physical death. He says, pray that God will restore them. Pray that God will restore them. However, 
There are sins that a believer can fall into that will lead to physical death. And in those cases, John says, don't waste your breath. Can we get into it this morning? He says, don't waste your breath. It's in God's hands. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I want to talk to you about a man named William Branham. How many of you ever heard the name before? I spoke to you about him a little bit before. William Branham was a minister. He had ministry and teachings in the 1950s, 40s, and 50s. When he was a young child, uh, he says that he was visited by an angel and that the angel told him to stay, keep his life pure, that he wasn't supposed to intake uh, any unhealthy things, and, and he wanted to keep his body pure and his mind pure, and uh, that the angel said that he would get two gift signs, that as he was ministering to people, there would be, be two things that would happen in his life that would show people that he was a messenger from God. And you say, Pastor David, is this real? Is this true? So here's what would happen. William Branham would start ministering, healing to people, and when he did, he was able to tell what was happening in their lives without knowing who they were. Okay, so he was what, what, what Pentecostals used to call reading their mail, right? So he, he would say, man, come up against come up to someone, and, you know, his name is John. Hey, nice to meet you. And, John, I just feel like all these things are happening in your life, and God is saying that you need healing for this and restoration for this. And, and without knowing John, it's right on. That's a prophetic gift, right? There's times where that happens for people, right? That's a prophetic gift. That can happen. And the other gift sign was this, that as he was praying for people, his hand would become beet red and on fire. Like, not on fire, literally, but super, super hot and red. And that as he would lay hands on people, that heat, that power, that anointing would cause healing to go into their bodies. Now, William Branham had a huge ministry, a huge ministry, an influential ministry, a ministry that was attended by by senators and congressmen that was pushed. I mean, it, this wasn't like just backwoods, you know, out-of-the-way revival type stuff. This was out there and open, very, very famous. But then something happened. To see, William Branham grew up in the backwoods of Kentucky. And I don't know much about people from Kentucky, but I do know when it came to William Branham, he didn't have much of an education. And he should have just stuck to praying for people. Because soon he started doing teachings. And the teachings that he started to give were strange, weird teachings. He started saying that he was Elijah the prophet returned. He started saying weird things about the Trinity. He started saying strange things about uh, Mary and, or, I'm sorry, Adam and Eve in the garden and with the snake and just strange, strange things. Bad, weird, bad, at times heretical teachings. In 1965, him and his family were driving to Jeffersonville, Indiana. And he was hit by a drunk driver. He was killed. His death had been prophesied two years earlier. Two years earlier, his death had been prophesied by another minister who said God revealed to him that he was going to take his servant before his soul was lost. There are some sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. 
We talk about physical death. Now, the, the danger here would be to say uh, that people would presume that if a, a believer passes unexpectedly, that it's because of some sort of sin. Let's never assume that. Let's never presume that, right? I do like what this commentary says, though. It says this. Apparently, a believer can sin to the point where God believes it's just best to bring them home. Probably because they have in some way compromised their testimony so significantly that rather than lead people away from God, it's best just to bring this guy home right now. I know this is a lot to unpack. This is, this is some really interesting, I mean, we could have discussions about this for a while. It's a lot to unpack and really interesting stuff. But the overall concept is this. As a believer, we want to do all we can to follow the direction of God in our lives and away from the sins that mess us up. Amen? Amen? I know it's a lot to unpack. It's some difficult stuff. It's some really cool theological discussion material. But the overall impact of it is this. We want to stay away from sin in our lives. John ends the letter in this way, kind of an interesting way. Verse 20 says this. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Amen? Little children. This is the way he ends his letter. I like this. Remember, sometimes it's little children saying, dear children, all of this is rooted in love. All this is rooted in love for the early church, for believers. He says, dear children, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from false Christs. Keep yourselves from false gods. John's parting words to these believers is always rooted in love. Keep yourself. And and here's the thing. It's not just a warning that's relevant then. How many know it's just as relevant now? Right? Keep yourselves from false Christ. Keep yourself from false gods. Amen? Amen. Stand with me this morning. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, 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 Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. If you know what I'm saying. Lord, I love you. 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 We can keep going. He is holy, 
Amen. Come on. He is holy. He is holy. Let's just lift our arms this morning. He is holy. Lifting your hands is an act of surrender. He is holy. Lord, we worship you. He is holy. He is holy. He is holy. Lord, I'm so thankful, so incredibly thankful that you give us guidance based in love. Lord, I pray that our focus would be on you and your glory alone. That we would find our strength in you this morning. That we would find our hope in you this morning. That we would find our peace in you this morning. Lord, we thank you that we can find our healing in you this morning. Lord, I love you. Let us keep our focus on you. Let us keep our guidance from you. Lord, I pray that we would not respond as petulant teenagers, but we would respond as obedient servants to what it is you've called us to do. Lord, I thank you that our love for you is shown in obeying your commandments. Lord, and that your, your commandments are not a burden, but they are freeing in our lives. Lord, I pray over each person in this church. I pray that you would bless them. And I pray that you would keep them. Lord, I pray that you would cause your face to shine down upon them. And Lord, I pray that you would give them rest. In Jesus' name, amen.